Matthew 18, 2 through 5, and this is Jesus saying, I tell you the truth, unless you change, become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. God wants to be like little kids before him. Kids have a childlike faith, a childlike innocence, a purity, an innocence about them. And this is what happened when you became born again. When you received Jesus Christ, you became that child. That's why he says, unless you become like a child, because you are born again. And now you need to mature again, except not naturally this time, but spiritually as a child before the Lord. And he will teach. He will be your parent. Amen? Amen. He's a faithful father. Amen. So just thank you, Lord. Lord, we just lift up, Lord, this service to you, Lord, this day to you. We just thank you, Lord, for coming in and just inhabiting praises of your people and just being with us. God, we don't take for granted your presence. I know we're just, we just get used to it in this place, God, but God, we thank you for honoring us and just choosing to be with us and dwell with us and to show your goodness to us. We just appreciate it and are so thankful, God, that you do not leave us or forsake us or abandon us, God, but you're the faithful one. You're always there when we need you, always there when we call on you. And we just love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, today I'm going to be talking to you about a shift in the winds. A shift in the winds is called the End Times Edition. <laughs> Has anyone ever told you that we're in the end times? Yeah, probably heard that before. That Christ's second return will be happening soon and definitely within our lifetime. And uh, just as their grandparents told them, and their grandparents told them, and their grandparents told them, right? This has been going on for quite a while. <laughs> if you're anything like me, you say, I've heard it a million times. So what? Does it matter if it's the end times or not? People have been thinking it's the end times for thousands of years. Does it change anything if it just so happens to actually be true this time? Is it even possible to know for sure the season of Christ's return? At the end of the day, is it going to change or alter the way in which I live my life for Christ? These are the questions that have been running through my mind, especially as we've been going through Revelation. Should I even spend time investigating and reading the Word of God on this mysterious riddle in the Bible? Is this what the Lord wants me to do with my time? Do I need to put forth the time and effort in understanding the things that are going to unfold? Some valid questions. To get to the bottom of these questions, let us do what we should always do. Get into the Word and see what He says about it. We can all agree that this is the best course of action. And the word of God will give us an understanding the things that are going to unfold. An understanding of the end times and its relevance to our lives today. 
The Lord has given me several visions and encounters this week uh, in regards to this message. So open your eyes and ears, if they are not already wide open, that you may perceive what the Lord would reveal to you today. So we start with my first kind of encounter. I was on my prayer walk. It's good to have a prayer walk, a time to get with the Lord and I don't know, but y'all love praying when it's warm out. <laughs> when it's cold and I'm shivering, I don't really want to be outside you know, on prayer walk. So I'm glad the weather has been good in uh, February to us, for us Wisconsinites. Right? Can't, I mean, can't complain with the 40s and getting up to the 50s almost. So, But I was on my prayer walk, and I got a, there's a bike path near my house, so I kind of walk on that. And there's this pond that has an overlook of a kind of a wood porch area. And I like to just go there and just look at this beautiful pond and all the turtles sitting there and all the, the high weeds and all the birds that come, just all the different things. And just sitting there, closing my eyes, just meditating and thinking on the Lord. And he quickened something to me. He said, a shift in the wind is coming. A shift in the winds, the start of a new season. Within a few seconds of hearing that, a strong gust of wind from the south blew for about 10 to 15 seconds and died back down. For whatever reason, he had me write a mental note that it was a southward wind. And later, while I was preparing for this message, he would confirm what he had spoken to me in the word. Wisconsin winter comes... Uh, when the wind from the cold north starts to make its way down. And spring and summer come when the southwardly winds bring up the warm winds. So it brought me to Luke 12, 54 through 56. Luke 12, 54 through 56. This is the NASB. And he was also saying to the crowds, this is Jesus, when you see a cloud rising in the west... Immediately you say, a shower is coming, and so it is so. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, it will be a hot day, and it turns out that way. He says, you hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? Hmm. That's a good hmm. <laughs> this was true for the first coming of Christ. Uh, this also holds true for, I believe, his second coming. He was rebuking them for not analyzing the present time. I don't know about you, but instead of being rebuked by the Lord, I'd rather just analyze the time. <laughs> Jesus said more than 50 times, 50, to be ready for his return. That's a lot of space. We don't have a, exactly a whole lot of messages of Christ saying a whole lot of things. You know, it's pretty short in comparison to the rest of the Bible. But to take up 50 times to tell him to be ready, be watchful, be vigilant, be sober for my, for my return. That's quite a few one uh, warnings, or it just emphasized the importance of his return and that we needed to be ready. We had something to do on our part. 
Well, anyone ever moved before? Anyone ever moved to a different house, right? Let me get some participation. Anyone ever moved before? There we go, there we go. I like to kind of interact with the crowd a little bit. So feel free to just, yeah, that's me. <laughs> or just sit there. That's fine too. Do what you want to do. But imagine that you bought a house in some other state. The deal goes through and they tell you to be ready sometime within the next five years. We're going to give you a call and you need to be ready in an hour with all your stuff packed already. What would you say? That's, that's crazy, right? <laughs> I'm not going to keep my house packed <laughs> and ready to go for five years. Well, it hasn't just been five years. It's been 2,000 plus years, right, since Christ was crucified. And he said, be ready. Well, this is what Christ did to us. He says, expecting, be ready, and be watchful. But his word is full of clues and signs of his return. You just need to read the fine print, as they say. There's a lot of fine print in that big Bible of yours. Some of it's very, very small <laughs> for us that have uh, those little Bibles. Let's turn to Matthew uh, 24, 36 through 44. Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. It says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. And one will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the hour of your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So on one hand, we have Jesus rebuking the people for not analyzing the times. But on the other hand... He's telling us that it's impossible for you to know the day and the hour. So what gives? <laughs> right? How can we be ready if Christ himself doesn't even know? This is why you need to get into the word and analyze what God has said about the times we are in. He gives us signs, signs in the heavens, signs in his word. He gives us a shift in the seasonal winds. Did you know that around 21% of the entire Bible is prophetic? That's a lot. Let me know any other couple thousand page book that uh, is 20% prophecy lying around. Muhammad, you know, the Quran, Buddha, do they have books that predict the future? 
They, a lot of them copy some of the things that are in the Bible. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> oh, that was a prophecy in the Bible. We'll just steal that one, claim it as their own. So when it happens, they get to take credit. But 21%. There are 3,802 verses of fulfilled prophecy. You know how many are unfulfilled? 2,715 verses of unfulfilled prophecy. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot to come. I thought most things have already happened. <laughs> that's a big Bible that tells about stories of all throughout, you know, the history, right? But yet there's 2,700 more prophecies yet unfulfilled. Well, what time period are they prophesying about? Most of it's just about a seven-year period called the tribulation. That's kind of wild. You got 3,800 prophecies for like all of our past history. But for a seven-year period coming in the future, there's 2,700 almost. You know, that's most of them. Not all of them, but most. That's wild. That's a lot of signs. Whew. That's a whole lot of information from God's own mouth of what is about to take place. The book of Revelation consists of only 341 out of those 2,715 verses. Do you know that? A lot of people think Revelation is like the book that tells all about the end times and the, the tribulation and the rapture and all that. That's only 341 verses out of the 2,700. Where are all the rest found that talk about this time? A lot of them in the Old Testament, through the Old Testament prophets. Just most of us didn't realize what they were talking about. <laughs> we read that stuff in the trees of Lebanon and <laughs> this and that. And it's like, this is, this is over my head. But it's not over your head. You have the spirit of the living God in you. It's just that here's how it works. I think of it like math. Uh, if I were to ask you the most complicated mathematical equation you can think of, rocket science stuff, or you would ask me, and I were to give you the answer, would that answer help you if you don't even know what, what addition is, what subtraction is, what multiplication, what the square root is, all these different advanced mathematical terms and things, you say, well, what about this in the end times? And I give you an answer, but you don't even know addition. That answer is not going to make any sense to you. It's not going to help you. You have to go from line upon line, precept upon precept, for an answer to make sense to you. Otherwise, answers just frustrate you. If I were to go ask a rocket scientist, how does this work? And they answer me, I'm just going to be like, uh, you know, I'm going to have no clue what he's even saying to me. Even though he's giving me the answer, I have no clue. Why? Because I haven't advanced in the levels of understanding to where that answer even makes sense. This is how it is in the Word of God. The more you read the Word of God, the more you start to learn the equations of the Spirit. And you cannot understand certain things until you've understood other things. 
This is where many of us have failed. We think we would just stop reading because, oh, this is confusing. But if you were to read the parts that you do understand and let the Holy Spirit reveal things to you, all of a sudden you get another piece of the equation. And now when you go back to this other scripture, a light goes off. And you think, I've read that a hundred times. How come now it has revelation and meaning and it becomes alive to you? Because you've progressed in your maturity to be able to understand certain things. So now when you go back to familiar scriptures that you've always heard, all of a sudden there's a whole new light and meaning behind it. This happens to me all the time. So many scriptures that I just passed right over, didn't realize this part was in it and this part was because it connected in reference to all these other scriptures now that I've, I've read. That they're in my, my knowledge bank, you know, my belief system. This is how the word, it's exciting when you get into word like this because then it starts to interpret itself. It's no longer guesswork. And oh, I hope, I mean, I think this is what it's saying, but so I encourage you, get into the word more. Even if you just, even if it doesn't seem like it makes sense, get it in you. So once you do learn this other part, you'll bring back that other part you were reading. Say, oh, I remember I read that. This is where it referenced. Now, ding, 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 ding. The lights are going on. It's exciting when the lights go on when you read the word of God. So I encourage you, stick with it. Don't, don't get discouraged when reading the Word. St- start with the, the stuff that's easy to understand then. The other New Testament stuff, a little easier than the New Testament stuff. But the New Testament stuff is just the fulfillment of the Old Testament stuff. So I encourage you, start with some New Testament stuff. And then when you go back to the Old, you'll see the type and shout, and you'll see how it correlates. Oh, it makes sense. It's just a better version over here in the New Testament. So that's a whole lot of science to notice before his due date appears. Ever notice when you're driving a long distance how uh, there's only a few signs for your destination, you know, hundreds of miles away? But what happens when you start to get closer. All of a sudden, the signs start to appear every few miles. Well, this is kind of the hour that I see us in right now. It's always been like this long thing away, the end times. Even though we kind of get this, gen- oh, there's wars and rumors of wars and pestilence, but there's always been these things. What's different about now? So this is what's happening now. Do you remember watching and seeing Bruce Almighty? And uh, he's, he's driving his car. He's like asking, Lord, just give me a sign. I need a sign. And a sign truck pulls up in front of him. He gets all mad at this sign truck that's carrying all these signs because it's getting in his way. And he's trying to speed around, not completely seeing that there's a sign right now. <laughs> that was the sign. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's kind of what's, uh, what's been going on. Matthew 12, 38 through 40. Matthew 12, 38 through 40 says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Show us a sign. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. 
and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Those with their hearts, eyes, and ears on Christ, on the Word of God, will have all the signs they could ever need, all 2,715 verses of them. It's hard to find any signs, though, when you've gone off path and are wandering the jungles of disobedience. The world has no clue. They're just, like we read earlier, just giving in marriage and just enjoying and just eating and feasting and having parties and life is great, la-da-da. But we, we see the signs, and they are rapidly approaching, rapidly approaching. God always has a voice in the wilderness for you crying out, prepare ye the way of the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. A lot of times we just don't like the messenger or the package it comes in. The Jews sure didn't. Jews didn't like the package of Jesus. He was supposed to be a conquering king, not a sacrificial lamb. And they missed it. They weren't analyzing the times. They were only analyzing the scriptures that they liked, that, that their conquering king would overthrow the Roman Empire and get rid of their oppression. But what about their sin? Well, they weren't focusing on that whatsoever. If God wanted the end times to be a mystery date and to take us by surprise so we would always have to be in a ready state, does it really make sense that he would leave us with over 2,700 verses of prophecy unfulfilled for a seven-year period in the very coming future? To command us to read the whole counsel of his word, but just make sure you don't read the 2,700 unfulfilled prophecies. Just so you don't accidentally figure it out. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous, right? In Matthew 24, 37, did you notice which people were caught off guard and surprised by the flood? Was it Noah and his family? No, it wasn't. Nope, they were prepared and ready because God gave them a heads up of the season they were entering. But notice God didn't tell Noah the exact day the hour. That information was disclosed and not revealed until the time God told them to get into the boat and it sealed up the door behind them. Well, he said, this, the end times are like the days of Noah. He knows the day. He knows the hour. It was the world that was caught off guard, completely surprised. You could even say that the flood came like a thief in the night but not upon Noah and his watchful eye. So don't think that Christ is coming like a thief in the night to you. He shouldn't. You should have all the signs that you need of his imminent return. It's the world that's in busyness of their own lives and doing their own thing that gets caught off guard. He became privy to a shift in the wind, Noah. It was no longer business as usual. This new season Noah entered into completely changed his normal routine. 
And he stepped over into what I call an end-time assignment. Not a time to be fruitful and multiply, rather a time to build and prepare for a coming storm. A time to declare to a lost generation the kingdom of heaven is at hand, to seek the Lord while he can be found. I think the same is true for you and I. The coming of the Lord is going to change our normal routine, our normal plan of doing things. That's why it's important. I too, like Noah, have felt the shifting of the winds and seen my eyes, the hastening of the Lord's return, the brewing of a mighty storm that will sweep many into everlasting darkness. Here's kind of a word I had from the Lord. For their hearts are like heavy stones, and they cannot help but to sink. Hands overlaid with gold, worshiping the work of their hands as idols, while declaring themselves living gods, falsely asserting and deceiving many that they hold the truth which leads to real life, freedom with no bounds, gain at no cost, justice with no penalty, love with no sacrifice. Perverse is this generation, twisting all that is good into evil and all that is evil into good. But the day is numbered and the time is set. So be ready, be sober, be vigilant, and be watching. Shine your light before men. Sound the alarm from the watcher's wall. Prepare your vessels. For the Almighty saves no longer through the wood of trees built into arks, but through the wood of the cross, living vessels. So pick up your cross, follow after he that has gone before you, the good shepherd. For his rod and his staff, they will comfort you and lead you to green pastures along rivers of living water, firmly planted on a sure foundation, the rock of salvation, Jesus the Christ. Then you can truly say, follow after me as I follow Christ, unshaken, unmoved, undeterred, faces set like flint, wings spread wide, soaring above the troubles and cares of this life abounding in the heavenly places, at rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Amen and amen. So the first vision I want to share, I had three visions that the Lord gave me this week. The first one I want to share was during glory culture while laying on my back, relaxing in His presence. I opened my eyes and looked at the wood ceiling, this one right here. Instantly, I stepped over into the spirit and knew that I was at the bottom of a very large, old-school wooden vessel. The type was sails. And I was resting on a bed while a violent storm was raging, which was kind of funny and appropriate because there was a pretty bad storm. There was hail going, the winds were blowing, there was uh, signs for a tornado nearby, and it was raging pretty good. And here I am having this, this vision. I pondered to myself, who is operating the ship in a storm like this? And I saw Christ at the helm, and Christ at the bow, and Christ operating the sails. Many Christ at all different stations maneuvering this boat through the tempest waters. All the while, I lay in the bottom, resting in the light of an illuminated room without a care or worry in the world, knowing that I was in good hands. Remind me of, of any story in the Bible, right? Jesus in the, in the back of the boat. Eventually, the storm passed, and the boat was drifting on the open seas. Calm blue waters, sun shining. 
But sometimes, or but something was amiss. We were just drifting in the ocean current. The Lord began to speak with me about surrender. So I lifted up my hand to heaven, and a sail shot forth on the ship. I lifted up my other hand, and another large sail shot forth. The Lord continued to minister to me that there are many different areas in my life that could be surrendered to him. And as I would surrender those areas, another small sail would come forth. Now the ship was filled with sails, small and large. We were no longer drifting in the ocean of the worldly current, but we were now cruising by the winds of his spirit. The winds were always blowing. I just needed to surrender to capture the power of the winds. Not by my might or my power, but by his spirit. In the place of rested surrender is when his power is harnessed in our lives. Without a yielded surrender, you have no power to move your vessel in any meaningful way. But rather dragged on by the world in its large, subtle current. The enemy is cunning and subtle. Sometimes you just let your hands down for a day or a week thinking you'll just pick up where you left off. Anybody ever felt that, right? Been there, done that a thousand times. But the whole time you've been adrift, carried away in your flesh and find yourself much farther away than what you thought you would end up. The currents of the enemy are subtle. This is what happens to many in the body of Christ, living their lives on an escalator, thinking they can take a break from God and do their own thing for just a little bit to relax and recoup, all the while losing all the ground, slowly and subtly, wondering why they can't seem to advance in their callings and in their spiritual maturity, like they're stuck, trapped at a certain level and can't seem to progress. Come on. This is where I feel like I've been for many, many, many years. And I'm just getting fed up with it. And just thank the Lord that he's taking us through. And as we lift our hands and surrender, those winds are just bringing us out of that current and into the current of the Lord. It's because of the place you were, or I see, like they're stuck and trapped it's because the place you are choosing to rest. When you take a rest to recoup strength, you need to do it in Christ. Get this. So that while you are sleeping from the storm, the troubles, and the cares, he, the Lord, is manning your vessel. Whew. I don't know about you. I want the Lord manning my vessel when I rest so that I'm not becoming adrift and being carried by violent storms by the troubles and cares of this world. Trying to find rest in worldly things is like leaving your ship unintended with no crew drifting in the ocean's current. Who knows how far off course you'll be once you get back to the helm. Tired of finding myself in uncharted waters that the Lord had no plan for me to be. 
Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You know, to not grow weary, you know what happens? We must rest. If you're not going to grow weary, you have to rest. But rest in the right way and in the right place. Not as the world rests. Their idea of rest is movies, shows, games, bars, and other forms of entertainment and busyness. That's their rest. But real rest comes from one place and one place alone, in his presence. That is where your strength comes from. That is where the renewing takes place. What happened this morning, this place of praise and worship and coming before him, that is your place of rest. But this can't be the only place. This is the only place you're resting. The world will tire you out real quick. One call from someone that unloads all their stress and all their cares can weary you out real quick, can drain the life out of you like that. Just one call from one person. Come on, a lot of people have some real issues and real problems going on, real emotions, real storms, and you got to be able to minister. And yeah, you give your strength, but if you don't recoup from that, what are you going to give when the next person calls? When your kid needs you, when you got to do the chores and you got to do this, and now you find yourself aggravated and annoyed and finding yourself just struggling to love because you haven't recouped. You haven't recouped what you've given out. Your strength has left you. Strength is meant to be given and used up and then recouped and renewed. Like the eagles, they spread out their wings to soar. That's a resting time. That's arms up. That's surrender time. When they start flapping their wings, that's their musing, their strength, doing things. But they need to rest. They can't, do, they can't flap their wings 24-7, and neither can you. You need to rest, but rest in the right places. been doing it the world's way for far too long. Coming home from work, tired and beat, resting in my couch or gaming chair and zoning out the rest of the night, thinking under the delusion that I'm gaining strength back to serve the Lord or my family for the next day while sowing to my flesh. Come on, that's me. What about you? I'm no different. Man, come home from a hard day's work, just, oh, I just want to do nothing. Well, how about doing nothing in his presence instead of doing nothing in front of a TV? How about doing nothing, putting some worship music, just meditate on the Lord, have it play some scriptures for you, but no, I got to entertain my mind. The Lord's putting his finger on some things, a crucial thing. This is the one thing I believe is stopping most of us from really excelling in the Lord. We get on fire for the Lord. And we, we draw back because we're, we're resting. We're resting. No, you're not. You're sowing to the flesh, and you're, you're going to reap of the flesh. When is your time for sowing in the Spirit?
How many of you are still participating in this same foolishness? I have been for all these years. It's time to reassess and reevaluate your spiritual condition. Consider your ways. Be real and truthful with yourself. Are you still growing leaps and bounds in the knowledge of him? Increasing in wisdom and anointing? Coming closer and stepping into the same ministry and call and acts of Jesus? Walking in love? Or are you becoming stagnant, not much growth or change, cold and warm, then back to cold, then hot for a week, and then back to cold? This is a time and season of acceleration, not by the power of men, but by the winds of the Spirit of God, harnessed through surrendered lives. So lift your hands, lift your sails, and watch how quickly God will lift you. Hallelujah. Second vision I want to share with you. Uh, God also revealed in glory culture. Take note of when God is revealing things to me. Giving me direction, understanding, wise counsel. It's the times that I set aside to be in his presence. No agenda, no prayer list. Just coming for his companionship. Notice that these are the times when all these visions and understanding and just <laughs> just blowing the doors wide open in my life. Just that time when I set a little bit of time. I mean, an hour for glory culture. And like what he shares with me every time is just life altering every time for an hour. Yet I have no problem spending two hours watching a movie. And then a couple hours on YouTube, scrolling through social media. <laughs> Grab a hold of this. This is, going to, this is going to change us from the walk we've been in to the walk that looks like the walk that Christ walked. Yeah, I, I always had a hard time. How, does, how is he doing that? I know he laid down all his deity and like, and he's doing it as a man. I'm like... How is he doing that by a man? Come on. His standard is so high. Never sinning? Give me a break. <laughs> but he had an understanding of this one simple principle, going away to be with his father. This one simple thing is what made it possible for him to live the life that he did. If you just change this one simple thing, you too will also change in this manner. So I started praying in the Spirit in glory culture, and immediately I saw in the Spirit a hand reaching down as I was looking down. I knew it was Christ's hand and that he wanted me to grab a hold. So I reached down and grabbed with a firm grip. The second we lashed hands, we shot upward at remarkable speed. He was standing on a small black square pillar that was shooting up fast while I was dangling and holding tight. I got a view of my surroundings, and there were thousands of these pillars at all different heights in the form of valleys and hills and mountains, all representing a person and the height of each square pillar corresponded to that individual's spirituality. 
I knew by the Spirit that the speed in which we were excelling was for this appointed time, that the day of the Lord was hastening quick, and that the Lord was responding in kind. A shift in the season had taken place, and now was the time for full speed ahead, like a rocket into new heights of glory. Now, here this, all that would latch unto Christ from this point forward would move at lightning speed. That's a word for you this morning. All that latch unto Christ in this hour would move to new heights at lightning speed into realms of glory. I've seen it. I've been experiencing it. <laughs> I mean, my whole life I could count on one hand how many visions and times I, that were really <laughs> profound when I heard the Lord speak to me. I could count on one hand. And then the last three years here, every, every week there's multiple. I'm thinking, that's crazy. What, how is this? I was missing it that whole time. I swear I was blind as a bat. <laughs> but yet, in the, in the church's eye, I probably looked like I had it all decently together. But yet, compared to where I'm at now, it's like, man, I was just, that was child's play. What the Lord wants to bring you up and accelerate you to is to the realms of Christ and His walk. No more living this lowly, just... These first disciples, you know, just questioning everything about the Lord and not really hearing him, even though he's speaking, they're scratching their heads. Come on, we've scratched our heads long enough. Probably some of us are getting a little bald spot. <laughs> the Lord wants you to understand and to comprehend and to join in in his work in the same power that he operated in. It's available to us. We just make, make some minor corrections, minor corrections that are actually major corrections. What the, it's really simple. It's really simple to do it, but it's just really hard on the flesh. Flesh is a hard time sitting still, meditating on the Lord, just going to be with the Lord and just be silent and not have a million things run through your brain, especially... My wife and you know, women in general, their brains go, it's like, whereas men, we kind of have one thought, we take it out of the box, and we just think about that one thing. Women just got, and this thought, and that thing, and this connects with that, and that connects with that, and you. <laughs> Come on, he's deserving of our time. He paid a price for us. He wants to be with us. He wants to reveal things. He wants to hang out and chill with you. Go hang out and chill with him. You'll be amazed at what he starts to show you, what you start to see in the spirit, what you start to hear in the spirit. I'd have never thought I'd have gotten to this place. Three visions in a week and just like very profound to me. It's like <laughs> Lord is doing, doing things. It's not just me, not just to a minister, Look at people in glory culture. God's speaking to all in visions, just whoop, 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 and just changing their lives, giving them direction. Anybody and anybody who is willing, he will dine with. He calls all to the table.
2 Peter 3, 2 Peter 3, 10 through 18, as the NIV says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speeding, hastening its coming. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawlessness and fall from your secure position, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Notice what he says here. Since you have been forewarned, be on your guard. See, if we know the end times are upon us and that they're hastening quickly, guess what? You really need to be on your guard because there is a lawlessness that is overtaking society. Not just in one nation, but in all nations. A completely different type of lawlessness than what we, I believe we've ever seen. Defund the police? What? <laughs> Who are you going to call when someone breaks in your home or is beating you up or... The first people to scream, defund the police, but then the first people to try to call them when things go bad. It's a lawless time. People don't want to be held accountable for anything. They want to say, just speaking words is violence while they punch you in the face. <laughs> just opposite, it's twisted. He also forewarns us, says, so you don't fall from your secure position. I'm not one who really believes in a once saved, always saved deal. I believe you can be cut off. But I do believe no power in hell can possibly pluck you from his hand. You must voluntarily jump up off of his hand and purposely in your tent of your heart deny him. See, a lot of us, we fall into sin. We fall. We trip. We stumble. And we do things we ought not to do. Does not Paul say this? Even Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He says, I do the things that I wish not to do. <laughs> Why? Because he has flesh. He sins of the flesh. It has a desire. It has such a pull. And we're always warring. And sometimes we choose and sometimes we make the wrong choice. But that doesn't mean we're making, we're going up to God and just completely denying and throwing him off and saying, I want nothing to do with you, God, anymore. That's completely different than sinning in the flesh. Yeah, a lot of us have sinful flesh issues. But we don't have this problem of completely throwing off God and denying him and cursing at God. But don't let these end times bring you to that place. You drift far enough long enough, you might find yourself there, a place you thought you never would. 
You need the rest. You need the secure place, his presence, so you don't fall to that. So you don't find yourself falling away when the times get tough. I guarantee you, because they're going to get tough. They're going to get tougher. The end times are not <laughs> merry and joyful times. <laughs> they are troublous times, difficult times. This is the time, though, when the division between the weak and the strong, the committed and the uncommitted, the cold and the hot are determined. So stay hot. Stay next to his presence. He'll keep you warm. <laughs> He'll keep you nice and toasty. <laughs> so this brings me to the third vision I had this week. Uh, and that was right here at the altar last Sunday during worship. Let me tell you, I was not prepared for this one. <laughs> While kneeling, surrendered in worship, I saw a chariot pull up right across the altar of heaven where I was worshiping. I was in the spirit. Yeah, it's like I understand there's an earthly altar here, but I like to envision and see myself in the heavenly place, in the heavenly throne. And a chariot pulls up. Christ was riding on the back and reached out for me to join him. Shocked, I grabbed his hand and hopped on. We started to fly around in the skies of heaven. A thought of doubt tried to rise up within me, asking, are you just making all this up? And then I looked over the chariot and down upon the city of God and said aloud with excitement, look, the city of gold. At the exact time I said the word gold in the spirit, I heard in my natural ear the congregation say the word gold in their song and praise unto the Lord. <laughs> I knew the Lord had intentionally caused that to happen to resist the thought of doubt that was asking me if I was making all this up in my head. I smiled and I was grateful to the Lord as a strong faith now arose in me. A lot of times you, start, you see some of these things, you think, man, is all this really real? I'm just like, <laughs> but I've had it confirmed time and time and time again. But that, that thought tried to rise up. I said, is, is, did the Lord really say that? Remember like what he said with, to Eve? Did the Lord really say that? Are you really seeing this or are you just making all this up? <laughs> Look, the city of gold. And then they, who uses the word gold in their praise and worship song? It's very few and far in between that you're going to hear the word gold sung on a, on a worship song. And it's the exact time. Just thank you, Lord. He knows how to strengthen your faith. We then swoop down, and now we are on the bottom side of the firmament in the second heaven. And I have my hands stretched out, treading the water of the oceans above, while flying through the sky in a chariot drawn by white horses with Christ. Pretty wild, let me just say. I wasn't expecting it. Well, what I saw next was the real shocker. After treading the waters for a while, I peered down over the side of the chariot towards the earth. Not far from us were massive strongholds and fortresses and armies of the enemy forces. I was quite taken back and surprised, but not as much as they were surprised to see us. They all began to point upward at us and to run in terror, trying to hide themselves from our gaze, screaming and screeching. 
It reminded me of a scene from the Lord of the Rings. Anyone ever seen Lord of the Rings? I don't know about you, but if you know about the Nazgul, written by the 90 mortal earthly kings that are flying around, basically these flying around in these drake dragon looking beasts, and they have this screech that's just. It's like an eagle, but worse. <laughs> and every time they fly over the cities of men, it's just like, ah, oh, the Nazgul. And they start hiding and panicking, and like fear grips them like no other. Right? They're just terrified. <laughs> this is kind of the scene that was kind of being unfolded here. I then turned to the Lord to get an understanding of the terror that has seized them. I felt as though I was given an eye to see as they saw him. I turned and I melted like wax, and I felt as though all my strength had left. He was a terrible sight to behold, with eyes bursting with flames of anger, wrath, and judgment, like the eye of Sauron, but infinitely more dreadful. Who could withstand him? I don't recall what happened right after that. The next thing I know is we are landing back in the holy city, back in the third heaven. Sometime after, I find myself with Christ in what appears to be some kind of armory and forge room. He is gearing up for battle, but not just any battle. The battle of kicking out the principalities and thrones and powers from the second heaven down to earth. That his ride with me was a taunting, that he is coming soon, sending them a clear message of his imminent return. Then the Lord shouted, A tin hut! <laughs> a heavenly host rushed into rank and file. The armies of the Lord are preparing, not for business as usual, but in preparation for the end time battles. Receiving end time assignments, the strategies and the type of warfare are shifting. Christ, the heavenly host, and all the saints are about to blow through. And that was the end of my heavenly vision. Whew. All that on a... <laughs> I thought I was supposed to be worshiping here, Lord. Just <laughs> and that happens? <laughs> Lord wants to show you some remarkable things, but let him do it. You don't have to make up nothing, I guarantee it. I, I couldn't make up an eighth of that. But the Lord wants to reveal what he's doing. So why share this encounter with me? Why give me a glimpse of any of this? Because he wants us to know. He wants us to prepare. It is a call to action to join him on the strategies and plans of heaven to create excitement and anticipation, a motivation to drive us. Anyone in here ever uh, run cross country or track? Runners in here? All right. Well, in a race, you need to pace yourself so you don't tire out before you reach the finish line. You don't start off with everything you got. That's a bad idea. But when you see the finish line, there's a surge that comes over you to use up all the energy you can muster. Because you know the end is near. And as long as you have the end in sight, you can push yourself beyond your normal limits. The Lord wants to push us beyond our normal limits. 
This is the exact moment in time that we find ourselves in. Christ is showing us the signs of times are here to propel us with vigor to finish to the finish line. The former and the latter reign, the culmination and fulfillment of all that has been spoken before us, the climactic end to the chapter one of the church age and onto a new and more glorious adventure. But we aren't past the finish line yet. It has just finally come into focus with our, within a grasp just up ahead. A lot of people ask the question, is there any prophecy in place that needs to happen before the rapture of the church? I am convinced that there is. The most significant prophecy to initiate a countdown of the end times was the revitalization of Israel as a nation in 1948. It had been dissolved for 2,700 years. It's a long time. Never before has a nation been completely destroyed and its people dispersed and millenniums later been drawn back to their homeland and revitalized. Just so happens that the only book crazy enough to predict such a prophecy is the Bible. Amen. But what about after that? Unfortunately, Israel did not receive all the land that God had given to Abraham. Genesis 17, 8 says, The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Can anyone tell me what the Golan Heights, Hebron, and the Gaza Strip have in common. Any, any takers? What's that? They are part of Canaan. These are the areas that Joshua failed to exterminate the Raphaim. The strongholds that Israel failed to defeat in the book of Judges are the same regions that are disputed today. I find that very, very interesting. This, I believe, is one of the last major pieces left before the catching away of the church and the start of the Jews' tribulation for Israel to acquire all of the land of Canaan. This attack on Israel from Hamas, I think, is the start of a war campaign for Israel to go after its remaining ancient territories. The start of the seven-year tribulation will be initiated by a peace treaty between Israel and many nations by none other than the Antichrist. I think this war campaign that has been initiated will be the reason why Israel will consider negotiating peace because many nations surrounding Israel will be very unhappy and are already itching to join the fray as Israel seeks to expand its borders. Israel now knows that there can be no negotiating with a religious people that chants nothing but death to Israel and calls for nothing less than for their extermination. I think Israel would rather die fighting than to let another Hitler-type movement of anti-Semitism sweep through their lands. I do not see in Scripture so far that the temple needs to be built before this seven-year treaty gets signed. 
only that three and a half years into the tribulation, when the Antichrist breaks the treaty, the temple must be built as he will then sit on the throne of the temple where the sacrifices have been initiated by the Jews and declare himself God, known as the abomination of desolation. This then kicks off what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation, the last remaining three and a half years, in which the seven vials and the seven bowls of wrath and revelation are believed to be poured out. This is also the time when God would kick the demonic principalities in high places in the second heaven where they are currently ruling from down to the earth. This is yeah, the vision that I just had. It's all the strongholds in the second heaven where the principalities are currently ruling in heavenly places. It says three and a half years into the tribulation, they are going to get kicked out of the second heaven and cast down to the earth for the remaining three and a half years of the tribulation. And I believe this is in preparation for, his, for Christ's return and descent from the clouds in the battle of Armageddon. See, if you're going to come down for the battle of Armageddon, well, you don't want a whole area of stronghold between you and the battle of Armageddon. He's going to make room and get rid of that stronghold, that fortress area that they've held for thousands and thousands of years. But the church is nowhere to be found on earth in Scripture during the tribulation. In Revelation 4, after the letters John wrote to the pastors of the seven churches in Asia Minor, the church is not mentioned in Revelation until chapter 19, the end of the tribulation, in which all the hosts of heavenly angels and the saints, clothed in fine linen, come down on white horses, following Christ into the battle of Armageddon. The church has been busy celebrating the seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb during the seven years of tribulation. This coincides with a pre-tribulation viewpoint. Something else to consider along this view is that God has stated that no man knows the day or the hour of Christ's return. But Daniel gives us exact days for the seven years of tribulation. 1260 days after signing of the peace treaty until Antichrist invades Jerusalem and sits in the temple. In other words, three and a half years. And then another 1260 days, another three and a half years, until Christ comes down with the angels and saints for the battle of Armageddon. That would be exactly 2,520 days after the peace treaty. So the day that is coming like a thief in the night is the rapture prior to the seven-year tribulation, not the second advent of Christ's return to the battle of Armageddon. Because he says no one will know the day, not even the sun, but yet Daniel gives us the exact day of the battle of Armageddon when Christ comes down for the second advent. So does he know or does he not know? So this is why I stick with the pre-tribulation because Christ is coming for his church in the clouds to meet us in the clouds. And then the seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb, at the same time, the world is going through the seven years of tribulation. And then exactly 2,520 days in, the battle of Armageddon, Christ comes down on the clouds with the saints. Something else to consider, I believe based on Daniel 9, the 70th week, known as the seven-year tribulation, is strictly for the Jews 
and the holy city. Daniel 9, 24 through 27 says, Seventy weeks are determined for your people in your holy city. This is uh, the messenger speaking the vision to Daniel. Seventy weeks are determined for who? For your people. Whose people? Daniel's people. Who's Daniel's people? Israel and the Jews. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. For the Jews and for Jerusalem. That is what the 70th week is for. Or who it's, I guess, determined for. But it has six plans that God says it's going to carry out. To finish the transgression is one of the goals. To make an end of sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. But this is all, the tribulation is all concerning the Jews. This is why you don't see the the church even mentioned anywhere in this tribulation time period, because it's not about us. It's not. This is God's... (laughs) bringing them back in, dealing with their sin, their transgression, and showing them, calling them back. He says in, or in verse 25, Daniel 9, 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks, and then 62 weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even unto the consummation which is determined is poured out unto the desolate. There's a lot going on throughout. This kind of gives us the whole quick overview just in a few verses of these 70 weeks. The 70 weeks is 70 sevens. If you multiply the 70 times 7 years, you basically get 490 years when God is going to deal with the Jews and the holy city. Remember, that's what this is all about. Seventy weeks are determined for the Jews and the holy city. So the first seven weeks, or seven weeks times seven years, is 49 years, is determined for the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the walls. And that happened back in 444 B.C., read Nehemiah 2, when Artaxerxes gives the command to rebuild Jerusalem. There's your your seven of your 70 weeks. And then we have this 62-week period dealing with the Jews. This, these kind of go in order up until the last one. So as soon as it's built, now you have... Oh, I got it on here. Might as well look at the numbers. I'm trying to memorize it all from memory. 
then you have the 483 uh, prophetic years. Um, basically, from the time that the city was rebuilt to the time when, when, when Daniel said that the Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. This is the crucifixion of Christ. So if you add these 49 years plus the 400, uh, if you add all these years together, you basically get to the 33 A.D. mark. So the first 69 weeks of these, of the 70 weeks, is the rebuilding of Jerusalem to the Messiah being cut off. But what happens after that? Israel is dispersed and scattered. This is why, this is why the whole 70 weeks gets cut off, because Israel is no longer a nation. But guess what? Israel's back to being a nation again, but it doesn't have all of its land yet. It isn't full Israel, right? Right now, Israel is what? Calling many Israelites back because they know a war has been started, and they're going to need every able-bodied man and woman to come and defend what's about to be unleashed on Israel. This is why they're going to need or negotiate that peace treaty. Things are going to get pretty hectic really fast. You think this Hamas thing was bad. This is, this is just the start, the start. So be ready. But the 70 week picks up, I believe, because the Israels are back as a nation again. 2,700 years later, predicted by the Bible, no nation has ever had that happen to them, but here we are. And so guess what? We're going to pick back up at the 70th week at the time of tribulation when Israel signs a treaty, but I believe after they get their land back. That's my conjecture, at least anyways. <laughs> That's the way it's looking, <laughs> right? Look at the times. Look what's going around. See what the nations are saying. Israel's, Israel's like, well, this, this treaty stuff has not been working out for the last, <laughs> right? It's been a joke. They've been, they always come to the table, but their enemies never come to the table. They won't even sit at the table. It's detestable for them to even sit at the table with the Jew. They, they've had enough trying to make peace with the enemy that wants no peace whatsoever. What time we at here? Oh, it's getting late. All right. So that took a little longer than I thought. So. <laughs> But the Lord wants us ready. That's, that's the message for today. He's telling us these things. He's showing us these signs to get us prepared, to get us in a different mindset, to be ready to receive new end-time orders. Get out of this, any civilian life that you're living, that going and resting in the world idea. That mentality needs to be done away with. You need to find your rest in Him because I guarantee you, he says, you're going to need it in these end times if you're going to stand. If you're not going to be cut off, you need to rest in him. Vital to your staying in the faith, but also being a witness to the world. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much, God, for revealing in your word, God, laid out step upon step, just line upon line, 
Lord, all that you have in store for us, your church, what you have in store for Israel, what you have in store, God, for the new age to come, God. Mighty is your plan, and you will see it fulfilled, God, but we want to join in partnership with you. We don't want to be left sitting on the sidelines hoping we were in the game. God, we want to join in with purpose. You've put calling and destiny in each one of us for this specific time. It is by no accident that we are alive right now in this place, in this hour. God, help us to be a witness for you. God, strengthen us and encourage us. We find our rest in you, God. And we will press towards the mark of the high calling. God, we love you and we bless you. Be glorified in this place and in our lives. And encourage us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, I love you all.